You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Speaking to us about the foundations of a Christian marriage, extremely important. They have what, maybe about 20, about 20 years of marriage experience they're bringing to, you know, to us this morning, serving it hot and real. And just to mention that this, these are my mentors as well. Uh, mentors in marriage and parenting so uh, you we will be tremendously blessed in God's presence this morning amen they also have some time to answer questions so if you do have any questions any burning issue that you would like addressed please note it down write it down the ushers will pass around slips of paper and you can do that and just pass it back to the ushers we'll get it across to them so please with a warm life point welcome can we please bring to stage or welcome to stage Pastor Samson Isa? We're eternally grateful for all that you've done, for all the Lord you're doing in this church, for yet the great and mighty things that Lord you will do. Our Father, we yield our hearts to you this morning. We trust the Lord you will speak to us individually and corporately. Thank you, my Father, for your presence here, so real, so tangible. We ask for the fullness of your counsel. Lord, we walk, oh God, and lay hold of all that you have for us this morning. We give you thanks and we give you glory in Jesus' name. The people say, Amen. Hallelujah. It's really good to be here. I mean, this church is so real. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you, you can clap now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so real. And, you know, Toby shared her testimony. It was so touching. You guys are so, you know, real in the sense that you're not cosmetic, very babyish, you know, tender. It's so sweet to be here, right? Hallelujah. It's amazing. I really enjoyed everything. Can you give it up for the choir? Amazing guys. Hallelujah. You must invite me here again. I really would love to be here. Just to worship, not to speak, actually. It's amazing, amazing. All right, um, when Pastor Idris called me to share the first five years of marriage, you know, I, I just felt we were the wrong couple because ours was so disastrous. So, so why is he inviting me to share? I remember, sweetheart, and you stand to correct me here, where on a honeymoon in Senegal, Dakar, and our hotel, and... And my wife almost made up her mind to divorce me, you know, just after our honeymoon. Can you imagine? So, so we're really the wrong couple to share first, first five years of marriage. But then there's grace, you know. God, his trend is made perfect in what? In our weaknesses. So thank God for this opportunity to share our lives. I think it's very important that you understand that once you get married, 
you need to understand the seasons of your life. So I start with seasons first. Genesis 8.22 says that as long as the earth remained, seed time and harvest, right? Winter and summer, cold and heat would not cease. Understanding seasons is very important because once you get married, you are at the building phase of your life. And once you're building, you must allow for mistakes. We just moved into our, our, our home just recently. I never knew that I would tell a builder to build and break and build and break and build. At one point, I felt I was foolish. But that's the building phase. The building phase is always very tough. Don't forget the person you're getting married to is completely different. I mean, it's very obvious, male and female. Am I right? So that difference is, is, is very obvious. But then you can imagine you're getting married to someone that you've never met. Some, you've met them, but you don't know where. You don't know them very well. Their parenthood, their schools, their friends, where they grew up is totally different from yours. So, but know that you're building, and they say patience is a virtue. Allow for mistakes. My wife and I, the things we've experienced when we got married was, was quite tough. Different cultural backgrounds. So she comes from the southeast. I come from the northeast of this country. So two different cultures. In spite of our, how much we felt we were cosmopolitans, it was a joke. Sometimes you meet a Jobu man in the U.S. He's still what? An Jobu man. The culture is so ingrained in us that you hardly lose it. And so those cultural differences are so important. And it's important that you understand that your spouse is a different person. So one of the first things you do is the building phase of your marriage. And you must be very patient. You must be very forgiving. Very, very forgiving because it's a guarantee that I'm going to offend my wife. There's no doubt about it. Though about two years ago, I told her that my wife, you, I, you would never offend me. I said, before you come, I've seen you. I was all dark. I missed that bullet. You would never offend me. And I think I've been a bit successful with that. Yes, let's just say a bit little, right? So I'm on the journey. So you must be very forgiving because you're building, right? I have to forgive some of my, my builder. At one point, I'd made up my mind to fire my builder. But I realized that he too is learning through the phase. So once you get married, you're building, and you must be willing to allow the mistakes more forgiving, right? If you don't forgive, you're going to be in trouble because that spouse of yours would offend you the following day. So it's a guarantee because you're different human beings and different, you know, inclination, different idiosyncrasies, different background. You're certainly going to offend each other. So you must be more forgiving. I would say because it's a building phase, it's a phase to learn. Knowledge is power, especially knowledge you know. Especially experiential knowledge is power. So you must be willing to learn. I think oftentimes we, we assume that because you are in love, you know, the place of knowledge is totally missing. And what happens usually is we assume that the love would take us very far, but really and truly, it doesn't. Because marriage is all about commitment. It's beyond your feelings. And therefore, I must spend time knowing my spouse. Who is she? Her temperament. Most of you that have gone through premarital counseling, you have to know your spouse's temperament. My wife is choleric. I'm choleric. She's, 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 she's cold, 
man, melancholy, right? I'm called sanguine. So you can imagine two choleric people in the same family. Oftentimes, my daughter and my son told me one day, we, they thought we were going to get married because we argue, and act, though very civil, but we argue because she's a very opinionated woman. Of course, I am very opinionated. So knowing the temperaments of your spouse is very important because then you would know the primary reason and the secondary reason why they're behaving the way they're behaving. Knowing where they come from. My wife comes from, so to say, a dysfunctional family. And therefore, I must allow her certain things that she does. I must have compassion for her. I mustn't just throw the baby and the bathwater together. I come, my mom is in her 80s now. When I travel to my village, I go to see her. She still wants to adjust my collar. Wants to, she loves me so much. So I come from a loving family. My wife comes from a family that her father was never there, a military man. Her mother was an international businesswoman. She was never there. And so I'm expecting her to give me love. From where? <laughs> you can't give what you don't have. Am I right? So knowing your spouse is so important. Sometimes... You know, growing, you know, when we got married, I usually got so drained. I'm giving, how are you? How are you feeling? Are you this? Are you that? He doesn't care. <laughs> I know, and it can be so frustrating, actually. But knowing where she's coming from, and knowing that it's a covenant we entered into, I had to start praying that God just pour all your love on me. Just, just pour it. And I wasn't expectant at a point. Right? Because I knew it wasn't going to come. It was going to take time. It's not an ideal way, but knowing where she's coming from, I could cover up for her. So you need to be very compassionate. Oftentimes we're very kind to people outside, but not very kind to our spouses. And that's the danger. But we must open up our hearts. People that are from a polygamous family, you would easily assume that they'll be very quarrelsome, very suspicious. Because they grew up in families where there are three or four wives, and the mothers will pray that the other one would die so that she can be the first one. And therefore, oftentimes, they're very malicious. Don't talk to this daughter or this mother and that. So knowing where your spouse is coming from is so important. Sometimes because of the culture, is so strong. I know of a culture that men can hardly say sorry to their spouses. And I, I used to be I used, to, I used to know a pastor that never told his wife sorry. I said, my God. But you realize that the Bible said that the traditions have made the word of God of what? Of none effect. So you know that your spouse is not really bad or wicked, but just as he's dealing with challenges that he doesn't know. And because you realize that he doesn't know, you're more compassionate, you're more forgiving. So knowledge is power. You must find out things, ask questions. A couple of, few years ago, about three, four years ago, we went to a, an elderly friend of ours, and a men don't like to be asked questions for very funny reasons. My wife, we left the place, and my wife was talking to me, so why don't you do this? What is wrong with this? This and that. Suddenly, I started getting angry. Why? Because she was asking questions, and she has a right to ask questions. But I realized that men are very egocentric. That are not willing to bow and submit themselves to authority. The Bible said that 
you know, submitting to each other in the fear of God. So it's important Then at a point I went home, I got home, and I was just introspecting, and I realized that why was, was I getting angry? Assuming she was my staff and she was asking me questions, will I be angry? I knew that it was a man's ego, and forgive me, men, a bit of stupidity. Because she has a right to ask questions and, and, and to challenge me. Right. So, one of the things that you must also realize is that leadership is important. Uh, what I've seen in the last 10, 20 years, and I've done a bit of counseling, is that, and I'm speaking to men now, it's important that you bring leadership into marriage. Women will love to find a leader. They want direction. They want to know next five to ten years, where are we going to be? What are you doing? So oftentimes, you meet men, and, and forgive me, maybe because as a nation, we've lost it. Even to get a year's budget approved for 20, maybe 18, it would be in 2019, sometimes July. So as a nation, we are being shaped gradually as Nigerians, as people that cannot even, we can't even balance a budget. So even a year budget is impossible. So gradually it's cascading to the people that we live, they said average Nigerian, most Nigerians, 95%. If you don't pay them three months salary, after three months, they're going to be poor. Why? Because we are not very futuristic. We don't plan. When I was growing much younger, this country used to have a five-year rolling plan. But we've lost it completely. Even to execute one-year budget is an issue. Even to approve it is an issue. So, men, you have to be very fit. We need leadership. You have to talk about where you're heading to. Have a conversation and know where you're heading. Because women will want to follow a man that... And, men, you can't be a leader when you don't talk. Nobody will follow a person that is not very clear. You must provide, you, there must be clarity of thoughts. And women, you must learn to help your spouses. I've noticed that women now are much smarter than men. I don't know why, but, but God will help us. I mean, my wife and I were sitting at my daughter's graduation at Day Waterman about four years ago or three years ago. And... And our son was near us sitting at her graduation. And we noticed that the five or the six or seven awards all went to the ladies. And very spontaneous, my wife and I just looked and said, what's happening here? Then we looked at our son. Better change the order. Now, this is what is, and it's real. Statistically, if we were to take it all across the church, most of the women know exactly where they're heading to. Strong, futuristic, reliable, consistent. But most of us as men, we're struggling. And I challenge you, women need leadership. Read on leadership. Guide. So oftentimes you see a lot of women that are ready to get married. But then sometimes, I think we as men, we feel that just because we're men, then we should be married. But the question, what are you bringing to the table? That must be clear leadership. I can't answer a lot of your questions, so I'll allow for questions and answers, right? But lastly, I want to say that 
there's a need for you to know that you're a team. Once you know that you're a team, then you can collaborate. We're not competing. My wife and I were not competing. If she succeeds, I'm doing what? I'm succeeding. So we, we would never compete. Would never, never. I almost understand that there are seasons of her life that God would bring her to visibility and glory and power. And she must understand that I also have visibility and, and glory and power. But all I could do on, on, on those seasons is to see how do I support her so that she can shine. Most especially as women, how do you support your husband? Women, you must understand that because you are a team, one of the challenges a lot of women have, and because they are very smart and very intelligent, they forget that the order of God is that man is the leader in the family. And therefore, sometimes they undermine it because they're smarter. And God is not pleased. So there's a changing of order. That because women are smarter, they tend to now take over the leadership of families. And that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. God expects that as smart as you are as a woman, as intelligent as you are, you're willing to submit that and don't rub it on the man. Because the man's masculinity, once it's on the mind, he loses it completely. And we must do all we can as women to ensure that there's leadership. So we would guide, we would advise, we're subtle and supporting the man. But men, like I said, because we're a team, don't compete with your spouse. There's no need for that. She's my wife. She's my husband. And usually it comes to the areas of finance, the areas of communication, right? Sometimes in-laws. But don't forget, this is a team. And therefore, my wife and I, when we travel home, she buys all the gifts for my family members. And oftentimes, she gives them all the gifts. My parents would never believe I'm the one that gave her the money. And every day, my mother blesses my wife, your wife, God bless her. My siblings, all of them. And same thing with her parents. They love me to pieces. And those kind of acceptance, women love security and protection and to be loved. And you must understand there's a hormonal fluctuations when you get married, first four, five years. Women will change. They'll be moody because they have hormones that are different from ours. And you, at those moments, you must be very patient. I used to think of my wife, what kind of woman is this? She would just, one moment she's excited, another moment she's gone off. That's two extremes. I don't understand it. It took me many years to understand that women are totally different. And of course, until God comes, I will never know her. Amen? All right. I want to stop here. And let's take questions. Praise the Lord. All right. May I invite my wife to just come up? Now, so that, now that you finish casting me and telling them how bad I am. Isn't she beautiful? I guess just, just don't be jealous of me. Be kind to her. He's just trying to earn points. That's that me. Don't mind him. All right. So we want to take questions now so that we want to spend more time taking questions. Um, if I may just say something before the questions start coming in. It's very important on, to appreciate the differences you and your spouse will have. As much as we love each other, as much as we think, oh, 
you know, he looks at you and you get all flustered. By the time you get married to this person and you realize, why does he snore so much? You know, why doesn't she cook so much? You know, you realize these little differences and they begin to grate at your, the, the euphoria of your love. And all of a sudden, you're not as excited about this person anymore. And that's when the commitment, you know, gear kicks in to say, okay, I'm committed to this person even though I'm not very excited about the person, I remember sometimes I would pray, God, I don't like this man. So just talk to him. I'm committed, so I love him, but I don't like him very much right now. So something needs to happen. You need to do something to me and something to him, but something needs to happen because this is not working. And we had lots of um, difficult conversations. Difficult in the sense that we were not really listening to each other. Somebody would say, their own. Somebody will say their own. And considering we're both cholerics, we are able to express ourselves quite clearly. <laughs> so I had to learn that, look, this battle, we're on the same side here. We're supposed to be warring to win together and not, you know, contending with each other. But it did take a while. I remember one time in 2003, I was just, I was so angry. I'd been angry for like three days. I was mad. And he came home and from the door, I said, you know what? You don't want a wife. You just want a maid that you can sleep with. And he was confused, like he's just coming from work. He didn't know me while I'd been meditating on the anger for three days. And I just unleashed. And he was saying, no, no. You know, <laughs> you know? and he's like, no, where did this come from? You know what? And I just ah, ranted and ranted and ranted and ranted. And he was so confused, like, ah. You know, what did he do now that caused this, you know, unleashing? No, I, I actually said that women are strange, so you must know that. <laughs> so people who have my temperament, who are melancholic, t tend to be quiet and tend to bottle up a lot more yeah. and unleash. But learning to talk, learning to have those conversations. Meanwhile, for someone like him, happy-go-lucky, he'll just say what he wants to say and move on. Meanwhile, I'm like, eh. You said what? Yeah, I think, I think, I think. To be honest with you, you have to be careful what you say. Yeah. Our, our words are really, really very powerful. When you hear about physical abuses, oftentimes what you very see in the society, yeah. emotional abuses are very common than physical abuses. And my wife, my, my wife recently said something to me, and this this is as recent as I haven't told her yet. But <laughs> thank, thank you very thank much. You. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, my, my water, please. Thank you. And I've already forgiven her, by the way, so, so you know, she, she, she told me that I was overly nice to her because I wanted sex. But it was true. And, and you know what? It took me about three, four days of saying, God, I've forgiven her before he left my heart. And the reason being that, you know how when you, when you make a statement, you don't know the impact yes, or the impact the of such person. statement. My mind went back to when I'd given her money when she had denied me sex for a week. <laughs> My mind went back to when I've blessed her family with all sorts of things. You're right? Was I doing that for sex? Your statement is so important. It lingered for about three days, but I said, God, just help me. I've forgiven her. Why is this coming back to me? Okay, I'm sorry. No. 
<laughs> I've forgiven you. <laughs> right? But then, people that are melancholists with this temperament, you have the propensity to keep things in your heart for a long time. And usually, you unconsciously, you go into malice and growth, and before you know it, you are bitter. We are happy low guys, very happy guys, sanguine. We speak our mind. Someone, woo! All the sanguine say, woo! Oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're so many here, so. Too loud. Good, good. Too loud. <laughs> but I was just trying to bring out a point that because of your temperament, you have to be very careful. Otherwise, you miss the will of God. You'll be very unforgiving. You'll walk with grudges in your heart. And you can hardly walk with God when you have those things in your heart. Quickly learn to say, sweetheart, I'm offended, but I've forgiven you. One of the principles that I have is as soon as my wife has offended me, I'm so angry. I tell her, God, I've forgiven her. Once I make those confessions, I don't know what has happened to me. But God has been so gracious to me. Over time, the pain lifts my heart. Very, very, it's very simple. Just say, God, I've forgiven her. Because I know that the next hour or three hours or 24 hours, she's going to offend me. So I release that one immediately, right? Okay. Okay, first question. How do you know your spouse is the one? Out of every person you have dated, how do you know it's this particular person? Apart from just praying about it. Yeah. Yeah, my wife, my wife just pushed things to me, right? <laughs> All right. She read the question, and meanwhile, she's meant to answer it. She then said I should do that. All right. Um, let me share this example with you. Many years ago, this is about 96, I was in Lagos. I'd met a lady I wanted to marry. Very funny enough, God always took me to Edo State for whatever reason. You know, an Asian lady and the rest. And The fake came before the real thing. <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> so I, I was very sure that God has spoken to me that she was the woman. I was convinced. In fact, very funny, and don't laugh at me. On one of my trips to the north, I had a driver. I was driving. I was, I was then a, a, a manager. I was traveling down home, and I felt that the Lord has spoken to me. You know how they say you build an altar? I stopped in one bush. I was thanking God that, God, this is my wife. I was raising an altar unto the Lord. Long story short, long story short, I came back to Lagos and weighing, I was engaging her. And over time, I noticed that the Bible said, by their fruits, we shall know them. I noticed that the fruit was a problem. I wasn't seeing the fruit, and I was struggling. Meanwhile, I'm so much in love with her, or was it infatuation? Uh, I can't place it now. Infatuation, definitely. I, th I think so. <laughs> and, and it came to pass, I had to break that relationship. Very painful, right? Because I wept, I cried, I said, but God, you spoke to me. What's happening? This is the woman. But it wasn't adding up because I couldn't see the fruits. And once you can't see the fruits, there's nothing much you can do about it. And so I went to her pastor, I spoke to him. We had all sorts of meetings. I said I couldn't do anything again about this relationship. So how do you know? I think first the fruits. The fruit is so important that you don't judge people by what they tell you, but what you see. 
Again, oftentimes we only talk to God when we get to the point of getting married. So there are no patterns in your life. You haven't experienced God in the smaller things of life. Right? Direction, questions concerning your exam, your business, right? Life issues. And now you're getting married and you want to hear God. It'd be so difficult. Because you see the men or the ladies around you, the tendency for you to be drawn to your flesh is very high. And so it's tall, dark, and handsome man. And he's what you've seen over the years on television or that soap. You're drawn to him easily. And so he's not exhibiting the fruit, but this is all that has been on your mind. And because there are no patterns of hearing God in the smaller things of life, you will certainly be confused. So my counsel would be, what are the patterns of God? How have you heard God in the past? What has God done? Can you trace back your history and see how God has spoken to you? And, and then you can now say, God, I'm confused. What do you feel about, for most women, no, usually have those two, three men. Right? But not, but not men, you know. These days, men too, right? But then, whatever place you <laughs> yeah, God will be able to speak to you. Because you know his voice, you understand his dealings, then when it comes to those issues when you're confused, you would hear God clearly. Okay. That's, that's, that's my counsel. If I add, sometimes because of emotions, positive or negative, you're not in a place where you can hear God as it were. That's where you need wise counsel from a friend, someone who you have looked up to spiritually. You need, that's, that's the importance of coming to church. The importance of fellowship. Because then you have someone who is like your mentor, your brother, big brother, big sister, whoever, that can help you. And I'll give you an example. In your service in 95, there was this guy who said to me, oh, God said I'm his wife. And at that point, I was a bit like, what? The reason why I wasn't interested was, first of all, his name was Romanos. And that just was... <laughs> Somebody said exactly what I said. Please, Ew. Hold, hold on, hold, hold on, please. Can I? Please, please, just hold on, please. Ladies. Wait, let me finish Please, the forget about a man's name. No, uh -uh. no, 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 no. At that point, I could not visualize myself telling my children, your daddy's name is Romanos. It just didn't work in my mind. But for whatever reason, I, it, it made me very uncomfortable. And, but he said, God said, and I, he was one of the leaders in Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. So I was like, ah, if this guy is saying God said, maybe God really said, but like, God, how you do that to me? You know, I, it wasn't working in my mind. So I spoke to um, one of my mentors, Brother Teller, at the point, and he just looked at me and said, if you marry him, Joe, I won't talk to you. And I was so happy. I was like, oh, thank God, because if God was truly in this, I know that God would have told him to help me see, even though there was an inhibition. So he came and I told him, no, I don't think so. I didn't say God didn't talk to you, but I don't think so. And anyway, so you need to have that support network around you. The Bible says God sets the solitary in families. Your church family, people are, have two, three people that you can speak to so that they can support you in making this decision. 
Okay, this one says, what do you do if your could-be spouse doesn't want to be a leader because he loves you? Hmm. What do you do if your spouse-to-be, potential spouse, doesn't want to be a leader because he loves you? He d- <laughs> Somebody said, no, he doesn't want to be a leader in the marriage. You know, he, he just wants, he loves you, so he wants you to take all the decisions. So- so, so this question is not very clear. It's a bit vague. Um, is it a woman that's saying that the guy, or is the guy that's? I don't know. The really man understand. is not wanting to oh, be the, the leader. Okay, fine. Okay. Yes, because he loves her so much. I, if you that, that's that's very dangerous, <laughs> because men are meant to lead, and so if you don't want to be a leader, then I wonder how the woman is going to follow you. Yeah. Because at a point. The man will get frustrated because he feels that the woman is calling the shots. Mm-hmm. So it's important that he takes his leadership position. If he loves you, then he should lead. <laughs> right? There are seasons in marriages when the woman leads because there's grace, there's capacity. But in that area, for example, when it comes to our children education, my wife leads. Oftentimes, and I apologize, I totally abdicate that responsibility to her. I just say, sweetheart, what is the bill I'll pay? Do all the work. But that's wrong, actually. I should go with her to the schools. I should find, I should ask questions. And I started insisting, you must go for the PTA, not me. I'm yes. not going. Yes. So she started insisting. So really and truly, if you're a man, you must lead. There are seasons that women will lead because God, it pleases God to give them that, that grace. But it can't be forever. You must lead as a man. That love is, is questionable. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say <laughs> okay. it's fake. So this one says, same religion, same culture, same tribe. Why is this important? And let me answer that one. Diversities of thoughts, diversities of ideologies can create deep-seated problems. So when the Bible becomes the sole parameter for convergence, then we're fine. If my husband being from the north and I being from the south remained our parameter, modus operandi, we would have been divorced, certainly. Because I would hug someone and my husband would look at me like, no, 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 you're not supposed to hug them. You know, women should be more conservative. And I'm like, what, what are you saying? And we would have those, it seems like a little thing. But imagine that's, you know, it's piling and piling and piling. So same ideology, same belief system, same Philosophy of life, yes. Too many of us are bound by our cultural nuances. Oh, I'm a Yoruba person. This is how we behave. I'm Igbo, you know, I'm Edo, all sorts of things. And we must understand that we, you are first a citizen of heaven. If you are born again, if you have a relationship with God, that is your identity. The rest of it was, you know, how you grew up and how you formed. And so as long as the Bible remains the the foundation, then cultural nuances should not be a problem. Let me take this question. How do you manage being with a man who doesn't say what's wrong till he's at his breaking point? How do you let him know he can open up to you at any time? Uh, This is a very important question. I think the, the challenge we have is that once we know our spouse's temperament, for example, phlegmatics and maybe they, they are not very outspoken. Sanguines are extroverts. They talk. And because we don't see marriage as a team, mm-hmm. 
we want to win in conversations. You're not winning. My wife and I, we have arguments, right? The point is that at the end of it, it's not that I have won, she lost, or she won, I lost. No. It used to be like that at the beginning. By yes. The way. Yes. Yeah. So you must encourage your spouse. Know his weak. He doesn't want to talk. The moment you start judging your spouse, or you're very cynical, the tendency for them for you to stifle their disposition is extremely high. But when you even if they're making mistakes, encourage them. I used to tell my wife, I'm talking to her, I'm, I, have, I have a telecoms background. That's, that's what I do. So when I talk to her, sometimes I tell her, as we're talking, I get to a point, I tell her that I don't think you're going to understand what I'm talking about. And she used to get very angry about it. The point is that why should I assume that? I should give her the benefit of a doubt at least. So what I would say in this instance is encourage your spouse to speak it. Be vulnerable. Except you're vulnerable, your spouse can, if you are the perfect one, you're always right, you're perfect. Your, your spouse is always the one that's wrong. Over time, your spouse wouldn't express himself. Okay, I'll take this one. Is it possible to have a marriage without fighting or quarreling or misunderstanding? No. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. You said women... You said women, for the most part, are ready for marriage by being reliable and futuristic. And for the most part, men are just waiting for marriage. Yet you say the men should be leaders. <laughs> are women to subdue themselves for a man to shine? What is your opinion on feminism and its effect on marriage? Wow. Can I start? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So... There's a big difference between, a lot of us say we're feminists, and um, what, the, what most people consider as feminism is the, the emasculation of masculinity. You squeeze the man and you pull him down so that masculinity is trampled on. Being a strong woman, having an opinion, is being who you are. It's not being feminist. I am feminist because I am female. That's who I am. I do not believe that we should belittle a man to shine. And that's what a lot of feminists think they need to do. They think, oh, no, 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 I have to tell the man off, no, he can't tell me what to do, he can't be the boss of me. Who's asking? You want to lead, feel free. You want to pay the bills, I'm very happy for the bills to be paid. Because it reduces the stress, you know what I mean? So we must not undermine the man's need to lead, to, to protect, to safeguard by saying, no, 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 I'm strong enough, I will lead myself. Then how does he cover you? Then where's the divine order where what's, what's, the man what, should lead? What is the joke of my son we, we, we're talking about? In oh, the yes. So, in fact, before that story, so a um, long time ago, I would say, I didn't want the children to have sodas and drinks, and I would say all these things, and then daddy will come home, you know, and just say, and they will go and ask, and he was like, yeah, 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 take it, take it, take it. And I was so upset one day, so I went after him, I'm like, why are you telling them to do what I said they shouldn't do? And he's like, no, no, so I attacked him. I'm like, no, you need to stop, because their routines, so they would now go to him, and he would say, no, 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 go to your mother, go to your mother. So one day Samuel said, are you not the head of this house? Why can't you decide? 
They were pitching us against each other. And by the way, children will do this to you all the time. So if you're not on the same page, your children will perform magic on your marriage and you'll be really, really, you know, surprised. So if you want to add to that, but the thing is, yeah. feminism, that, that idea of being a strong, independent woman, I'm very strong, I'm very independent, but my, I, because I am strong, I am able to submit because the stronger should submit to the weaker. My, my strength is not in contesting. No, my strength is in maintaining my lane and, and contributing to this marriage and making this home more successful. Pulling him down does not mean I'm stronger than he is. I think, I think that's, 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 that's a good one. In fact, if, if, if you look at the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, you know, the Bible said that he doesn't, never taught it to be robbery, but he humbled himself. Yeah. So when you're strong, the only way we know you are very strong is the ability for you to be humble to serve people. Continue. Now, she, she asked a very important question. I was talking about the fact that I was just trying to push the men to be strong and to lead. For women, in this season, I have noticed a lot of very ready women that are smart and the rest, they hardly find in court the right men, right, because Oftentimes, most of them are not willing to be humble to take the man on a journey. But the guys are a bit intimidated. Well, that's, it's, that's, that's part of the journey. And if I were a woman, she stooped to conquer. Yes. If the guy fears God, he loves God, and he's the kind of person that you really think you can spend your future with, he might not be wearing the, the right cologne, his or shirt, not at all. Yes, or not at all. His shirt might not be the right one. Um, there are certain things that he doesn't have. But you've seen those attributes that makes him a man. Then take him on a journey. I think oftentimes we throw the baby and the bathwater together. Yeah. right? Because he is not this. Therefore, <laughs> to hell. And we end up missing very good people that Five, ten years from now, you look at the same man, you say, wow. Oh, wow. I'm not sure we can take all you these know, questions. How did I miss this minutes. person? So, again, if you're married, I'm not saying that you, you should suppress yourself, be who you will be, but learn to be humble, to be submissive, not to rub it on the man. Yeah. Right? That's, that's very, very important. Okay. This one says, you know that love isn't always everything, and you can never get to know all about a person. Most times, women with their speech can offend you to the bone. So what is the remedy for the burning anger you may feel with your spouse? It's very simple. The Bible says, um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I cannot control my anger, I have a problem. The person annoying me is not the problem. My inability to manage my emotions is the real problem. So the fact that someone will offend you to the bone, yes, it happens. But like he said, we make the choice to forgive, and God removes the pain, the animosity, the bitterness. So what I will say to you is work on yourself. Work on being more like Jesus. Jesus was offended how many times? And he did not kill anybody. Okay, next one. You'd, you talked about seasons. Talking of the building season in marriage, 
room for debt? Is there a room for dating before marriage? What's the season after building? Or is all of the marriage a building phase? Uh, to be honest with you, throughout marriage, we're building. I mean, yes. we're learning th throughout our lives. So you're yeah. building throughout marriage. Is there a room for dating? Absolutely. Before you get married, you're dead. And the definition is now, uh, what's dating now? And I don't know very well. I'm, I'm from the old school order. So I, I wouldn't understand dating. I would say dating means that there's no sex, right? When you're dating, then it's, you can date, right? <laughs> right. As long yeah. as we all know having sex, yes, we're you know, good. Then, then you can date. And those, those are the seasons that you want to find out who the guy is, yes. whether you're compatible, whether you understand where he's heading to, or the lady you want to understand where she's coming from, or she's the kind of person you can really live your life with. So there's room for dating. What is the point of no return? I've been reading this question and trying to figure it out. Most times we advise to stay, pray, change our attitudes, but there has to be a breaking point, right? No. I'm referring to a situation with no physical abuse or cheating, but where the love and care is lost. I think that one is um, when, if you go back to the story in the Bible where um, there was a wedding and the wine was gone, and Mary said to the guys, go to Jesus. Tell him he will know how to sort it out. And he said, fill the vessels with water, and the water changed into wine in the hands of the servant as the servant drew water and was going. It's very important for us to realize that love never ends. We are love beings by our very nature. We're made in the image of God, and God is love. So we have the ability to love. It does not die. We also have a choice to choose to love person A, and not to love person B. So the more someone irritates me and grates at me, the less I am inclined to love that person, spouse or not, just a way of life. So if I choose to commit to someone and the person is grating me, I must make the same choice to forgive. Where you might be referring to a breaking point is where you have, you have focused so much on your differences and you're not, going, you're not seeking counsel, you're not speaking to anyone. So there's a lot of bottling up and bottling up and bottling up. Of course you will explode. I mean, in our marriage, we've had counseling all through. And we've had uh, informal counseling. I will go and report to um, Auntie Helen and say, see, he has done it again. Can you imagine? And I'll rant and rant. And she'll say, hmm, very interesting point. But um, have you considered this? And I'll be like, hmm, OK, that makes sense. Sometimes it's a message you listen to, a book you read. All that constitutes counseling, where you read about, like you said, knowledge is power. Learn about what it means to live with someone, to be a spouse. What does that mean? Agree on your parenting style. So the truth is there is no breaking point. Having said that, my parents got divorced when I was 30 years old. That was like 14 years ago. And it was very embarrassing to see. How can me with grandchildren, oh yeah, you know, I have to explain to the grandchildren that grandpa and grandma do not live together. You know, just like, come on now, you guys are too old to be having these kind of arguments. But they were not. And they ended up staying apart and got a divorce. So yes, if you do not work at being kind to each other, being born again and, and, and demonstrating the fruit of the spirit to each other, you will end up separating. I, I think just, just, just to add to that, I, I, I didn't tell you guys, I mean, marriage is hard work, a lot of hard work. 
right? And you have to be very intentional about it. it nothing works out because you are feeling. You have to plan and work very, very hard. You know how much you work hard in your office? Yeah. You work much more harder in marriage. And if you don't plan it, you know, you <laughs> will just, <laughs> you would miss it, right? So it's a lot of hard work. And that, that's very important. Someone says, I want to ask, is marriage for everyone? Um, I would say, I mean, things are happening now. I would say, if you have the grace of celibacy, God has told you you're a celibate you're, or you're a eunuch, right? Eunuchs were forced to be eunuchs, yeah, so they, those ones won't get married. But we've seen the Reverend Fathers now with the scandal in Europe, and we do respect to the Roman Catholic, right? The abuse of children. We know, now there are conversations that maybe they need to get married. They don't have that grace, actually, right? No, but it's, it's, it's real. I'm, I'm not, that's I said, we do respect to it. It's, yes. it's a massive organization, right? But the abuse is excessive. 2,000, 3,000 children, that's the ones that I've mentioned, have been abused, right? And some person was talked to me about the nuns, yes. that those one too, yes. that if they catch a man, that there's something else too. You know, so it's, it's, it's very sad, but, <laughs> you know. So the question, I was just trying to give some context to this, this question. Is marriage for everybody? The Bible says that God said that it wasn't good for a man to be alone. I think marriage is good. I, I have enjoyed it so far, over 20 years. I have no option now, even if I'm not enjoying it, because I'm committed to it. It's too late. Right? It's too late. I would say... Depending God's grace, if God has spoken to you, then there's grace for you to be a eunuch for, for God, right? If, can I add, if that is the choice you make, then you need to be very careful about what you, um, what you engage in. Because all of media, social media everywhere, is selling sensuality. So how to protect yourself from what is being sold is very difficult, even for married and people who are full, hot-blooded human beings like you and myself. So if you choose to, um, and for all of us, and for those who are still single, by the way, it's very difficult to stay celibate and wait to get married if you feed your sensual appetite consistently. What we read, what we watch, what we engage in, so well, this person sleeping with that person and that person, and oh, he's hot and she's this and she's that. Trust me, in the right situation, you would have finished coming before you realize what happened. That's the truth. Because we're feeding our sensuality. So we have to protect ourselves and guard our hearts and guard our minds and be careful. Because it could be little things. There are little things that just trigger you. You read something and, oh, you're feeling all warm and fuzzy and this guy comes, you know, and he's just, you know, just reading the scripts from your book. Just, just to add to that, again, be careful. Don't, don't, don't be a celibate because of frustration. True. N nobody's coming your way, or and you've you been in broken these relationships. Yeah. You know, after a while, you say, "I, I wasn't meant to get married." No. You know. So, as long as the feeling is there, even if you're 50, male or female, yeah. just trust God. If God calls you home tomorrow, you haven't gotten married. At least you trusted God. The just shall live by what? By faith. So faith doesn't get to a point because I'm frustrated and I say, oh, it's not meant for me. God has spoken to me. I use that as a front. Don't do that. Because then you are destroying part of you, 
right? But if you have the feeling, and if you're sure, again, what I've seen again, now that we have toys, people use that now to be self-contained, and they now claim that they are celibates, they are okay, <laughs> right? It's also a lie. Yeah. Yeah, because you're using a toy to make yourself happy. So that's, those are the complexities. That's true. Okay. Um, it says we have a few seconds, so last one. How do you deal with moving on or blocking out thoughts of marriage or thoughts of being together with someone you liked, but he never asked you out? This thought has been on your mind for like three years now, and you're still single. And it's connected to, so this person seeing their ex, their ex is um, married and she feels she's lost an opportunity. Okay. Again, what do we feed our hearts? What do we feed our minds? If you move on, move on. This is the challenge with sporadic dating. Everybody who asks you how to date, everybody be careful. Because tomorrow, that person's married, that person's married, all of a sudden we're having a complex. So, so I, I say, especially to us ladies, guard yourself and be a bit picky, if you will. So, sorry, I don't mean to sound like a snob, but really, guard yourself, you're precious. So don't just date anyone and don't, don't find validation in the fact that you're in a relationship. Validate yourself and be complete, be whole. And then when you get into a relationship, be, be deliberate about it because you don't want to be you know, in this position where, oh, that ex got married, that ex got married, and in fact, crazy story, mad. So we were on a flight, and we were going to, where were we going to? I can't remember where we were going to. And I walked up, and somebody said, oh, hello, madam, and I looked, and it was my ex, and I was like, <laughs> you know, you, I talk, anyway, so I told him about this particular person. I said, oh, how are you? And I was like, oh my goodness, you, don't you play football anymore? You put on weight. You know, thankfully, he didn't look so good. So, <laughs> sorry, that sounded mean. But anyway, so I was not like, eh, am I supposed to sit on this seat with my husband and an ex-boyfriend? I am not flying this, I will get off this plane if that's my seat. I, I felt so, ugh, it was not a good feeling. And then we sat sort of on the seat adjacent. And then, so we were gossiping about him throughout the entire flight. Then when we got off the flight, guess what he does? My husband goes to stand next to him and they start having a conversation. And I'm thinking, what? So I go to the end of the bus, like I don't know two of them. And I just walk off and move on. Point is, you don't want to have that with six, seven people. No, so let, let's be careful. Let's be careful. But then I think the lady said that the, her mind for, for is three years, on she talked that about on ex. that guy. Yes. Now I think the question is that what has God spoken to her? She cannot hear God. She's in love. <laughs> yes. So she needs to walk away mentally. It's it's an emotional attachment. A lot of times we have emotional affairs. Yes. So you need to break that emotional bond yeah. and let the guy go and move on. Honestly, talk talk to Pastor Bosola. Somebody said, I proposed to my fiancée not long ago, and the wedding preparations are ongoing, but I'm developing cold feet, which is making me doubt if there is God's, it's, it's God's will. Is it possible for it to be God's will, and I still have cold feet? Uh, yes, it's possible. Oftentimes, the things of God are not very easy. They're very difficult and very tough. I think the question would be, are there some certain fruits that you cannot see that this is not the will of God for your life? 
the fact that you have differences before marriage, that doesn't mean that she is not the right person, right? The most important thing is that before you propose to her, what did God tell you, right? That should have been a journey that you were very certain in your heart. You can't take a lady on a journey you've proposed to her, except there's a scandal, and now you're saying they're having cold feet. You need to be man enough. Stand on your decisions, except God tells you no. Go ahead with the wedding. Except God tells you no. And, and don't say you alone with God. Go for counseling. Yes. In the multitude of counsel, the safety. Yeah. Right? But again, I hope you've not seen a prettier lady than that lady. Uh -huh. We have to be very careful. So if you want us to talk more, we can talk after the, the smitten. They've given us uh, one more minute. Okay. What is one way to keep... There are three questions I'll take together. What is one way to keep the romance and love in marriage... Um, how do you handle a situation where you, your spouse is unable to satisfy you sexually after marriage? And um, how do you handle a situation where your spouse is unable to satisfy you sexually after marriage? And what is the way to keep romance and love in marriage? One fundamental thing is to develop friendship in marriage, which is totally separate from friendship before marriage. Because before we got married, you didn't know I snored. You didn't know, you know, I only brush my teeth once a day. You didn't know certain things that maybe bother you. You didn't know that, oh, I don't like to iron. I don't like to wash. I don't like to cook. You didn't know so many things. But now you're finding out 2,001 things you think about me. And you think, oh, who is this person? How do you still love? Romance is kindled. When you spend time, it's, it's, a, it's a deliberate act. Ladies spend a lot of time seducing people before get, they get married. And when they get married, they just think, yeah, he's mine, that's it. I don't need to do anything. It's not true. It is very important to keep the wine of your marriage, keep the fire burning. And the only way to keep a fire burning is to work on it and to add, you know, to stoke the fire. So you have to be deliberate about working on the romance before marriage. The one about sex. Yes, sex, sex and marriage. Well, look, um, very, very few percentage of men can satisfy women in sex. Very few, because men will always know that men are very fast, right? Um, so the issue is that women, we must beg you, teach the men. Yes, you have sex. to teach your spouse. You have to teach the men yeah. how to be satisfied. Ninety-five percent of women don't get orgasm. Yeah. Because they may, don't even know about it, because they don't, because they've never experienced it. Yeah. So, very few men. So, if you're having that problem in your marriage, teach that man. Take him through a journey. Tell him that this five minutes. That is this not five minutes is not working for me. Or you're honest. One hour, help the man and pray for him. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Let's pray. just um, spend some time just Let's we just don't stand know up, yeah. yes whatever what what part of this minister to you what question was answered what question you might still have we've been kind of you know funny and jovial but we've talked about serious things so i want you to just take a moment and pray and just ask the lord to really meet meet you at the point of your need whatever it is you've learned today ask the lord to embed it in your practice the need to understand your temperament, the need to pray, the need to be kind, the need to be loving.
Let's just pray. Let's just start thanking God for what God has spoken to us this morning and this afternoon. Let's just thank God for His grace and mercy. certain people that they've cast away their confidence. They've lost it. They've been waiting and trusting God. What I heard in my spirit this early hours of this morning is that don't cast away your confidence. It's a great recompense of reward. After you've done, there's a need for endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I want to pray for grace to endure, the brace to wait. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, it said, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. If you're in that category, I just want to lift your hands. Can you just walk forward? Let me pray with you. Let's pray with you. I want to pray with the people that you want grace to endure. Grace to endure. So that God can perfect that which he wants to do. You're raising your hands. Can you just come forward? Just, just, just walk forward. Just walk forward. Let's, let's, let's pray with you. I want to lay hands on you and just agree with you.
Hallelujah. The last group are the group of people that God wants to restoration of your marital destinies. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, it said that the days that so I restore to you the ways that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, which are sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wonderfully with you people. God says in my heart is that you've made mistakes in the past, right? Or you've lost some years in certain relationships that you're just fatigued, right? Or you've judged yourself because of things you've done in the past. What I had in my, my heart is that God wants to bring restoration. God, just raise your hand. You don't want to come forward. I want to pray with you there. Just raise your hand that God wants to bring restoration into your life. Whatever the canker one is eating in the caterpillar, God has spoken to us. Your marital destiny that God will bring a restoration. I've seen some few hands. Let's pray now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your children. We thank you, my Father, because, Lord, you know them, oh God. Thank you, Lord, because you're a merciful God. This, oh God, afternoon we say, Lord, let mercy overshadow judgment. Let mercy overshadow judgment. And therefore, Lord, we pray for restoration. Whatever the canker one is eating, the caterpillar, restore their joy, restore their peace, restore their beauty, restore my father, their passion for you again, that which the enemy has stolen from them. Lord, we speak restoration. Even this afternoon, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we break the bond of the wicked one, my father. We ask that, Lord, you restore their age, my father. Lord, restore their beauty and their peace, oh God. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we say, let the heavens be open to them again. We ask for favor, my Father. We ask the Lord you make a way where there seems to be no way. We ask the Lord a new wine has come upon them, a new dawn, my Father. He said, Lord, in the days of your power, the people shall be winning. And therefore, Lord, we pray, let there be a new crushing out of your spirit, my Father. Let beauty for ashes, my Father. A garment of joy in the place of mourning. Lord, the oil of joy in the place of mourning. The garment of joy, Lord, part in the place, Lord, of heaviness, oh God. Lord, we thank you. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.